0: the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and-
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Popcorn Digest with me, Gareth Green, and my co-host, Andrew Raphael.
0: Should I start talking
1: backwards or something? I don't know. I literally have it in my notes here that you should say hello backwards. (laughs) I am the arm. (laughs) This week we'll be travelling to a picturesque American town known for its mountainous surroundings, gorgeous waterfalls, and incomprehensibly weird murder mysteries. That's right, we're heading to Twin Peaks as we discuss Fire Walk with me. We'll also be discussing all things Snyder Cut and what that means for the future of cinema later on in the episode as well. But before all that, grab a cup of coffee, order a slice of cherry pie, and settle in because it's time to roll the trailer.
0: There is no other person who could have known where it was. Did Bobby give you this? Or is there someone new? Your Laura
1: disappeared. It's just me now. You made me write it all down she doesn't like it how do you know what she likes okay and welcome back so that was the trailer for twin peaks fire walk with me i watched it as well just earlier on today i think it probably makes just as much sense as the film does as well so andy you chose twin peaks fire walk with me for our discussion Mm -hmm. today You take the ball from here, mate, because I watched the film for the very first time last night at one o'clock in the morning, and I'm still making sense of it today. Probably not the best time to watch it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's literally 12 (laughs) hours later for me, and I'm still trying to make sense of it. This is a very unusual situation, because I don't think we've had that many films where I've I'm quite well acquainted with it, and you have basically no idea what's going on. Uh, It's usually the other way around. But yeah, I just thought this would be an interesting one to cover. Uh, Also, partly because I'm very much in Twin Peaks world at the moment anyway, because I'm sort of currently, for my own amusement, uh, re-editing season three to make it a little bit tighter. So I'm very much in that world at the moment. Yeah, I just thought it'd be nice to do something that's maybe a little bit more... um, a bit more art house.
1: (laughs) Esoteric.
0: Yeah to sort of break up the slurry of more mainstream slash goofy style movies as well (laughs) and although i do think it's an episode
1: that fits into best forgotten movies and that type of (laughs) film that we we discuss oh it's
0: definitely a best forgotten movie yeah
1: i do feel like this kind of opens us up to discuss it in a a separate light as well especially Mm, following twin peaks season three um, I mm-hmm. must put my cards on the table as well and say that Twin Peaks was something I watched much later and I must admit that I still haven't seen all of the second season because much like the majority of people that watched it when it aired, <laughs> it lost me the moment the Laura Palmer murder was solved. Yeah, But fortunately, I do know all about the Black Lodge stuff and everything that follows, the weirdness that follows just because of the following that Twin Peaks has and how much that's been publicised as well. So mm-hmm. all of that stuff, it's it's become iconic it's part of our film culture now
0: yeah, yeah. so
1: walking into fire Walk with me i still had an idea what to expect but i i hadn't seen it and i've still not seen season three but i absolutely am going to watch it now <laughs> i haven't seen that <laughs> film last night so yeah. where to begin here <laughs> How did this come to be? Because I do know that the experience that David Lynch had with the second season of Twin Peaks was a torturous one that's actually seen him leave the production at one point and then return later on.
0: Yeah, somewhere between episode seven to nine, he left. I mean, he wasn't that happy anyway, because they were under a lot of pressure to reveal the killer. Yeah. And this just completely went against his whole ethos with the series, the whole point of the series was that the murder would never be solved. Mm -hmm. It was just always there, plugging away in the background, fueling everything else that went on. Yeah. And he describes it as a goose that laid the golden eggs. And the thing is with David Lynch, he is such a clever man and nothing he says or puts on screen is random yeah everything is thought out to the absolute nth detail i think that's what sets
1: him apart from other art house filmmakers yeah is that there's a clear purpose to what he's doing and what he's putting to screen yeah and half of the enjoyment of watching his films is deciphering what david lynch was thinking and what his ideas are behind each image that he's putting before us. Yeah, I know that's especially what I see in his films, and I will say that David Lynch, I perhaps don't know his filmography, or I'm not acquainted with his filmography quite as much as you are. There are some real gaps, really, that I haven't seen, like uh, Inland Empire, Mulholland Drive, two that are certainly on my list to watch which mm-hmm. I know that you've seen as well. But yeah, yeah. I do feel like there's something about his style of filmmaking that just simply draws you into his world, whatever that world may be.
0: Yeah, going back to this sort of being very detail-oriented, even him saying that goose that lays the golden eggs, if you look at any visual of Ed's gas station, there's actually a literal goose on the sign laying golden eggs. And even the position of where that is in terms of it being in the gas station. Yeah. When you start to understand more about how the, the world works and the whole point behind it, it makes perfect sense. And for anyone who's interested, or even if you're not interested, there's a, a great YouTube video explaining the world of Twin Peaks and the whole intentions behind it. I would generally recommend watching it after you've seen everything because yeah. it's a four and a half hour long video. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube by a guy called Twin Perfect. And he follows it up with another hour and a half video. So there's a lot of content to get through. And he uses a lot of examples from the show and the film. And it's basically like a thesis this guy's done. And um, he backs it up with a lot of interviews from Lynch, either video or quoted from him. And everything backs up. And then once you know all this stuff, when you actually go back and watch... Twin Peaks the whole thing makes complete sense like nothing feels random anymore Yeah. so it's one of those things where watch that at your own peril because if you like being mystified and bit in the dark then I wouldn't watch it but if you kind of it's going to either annoy you or make you enjoy it even more with that. And it's kind of interesting. I watched this film knowing that now because I really enjoyed it a, lo- a whole lot more because I knew more what was actually going on. Talking about the film,
1: I will say for the first half an hour, I was completely lost on what was happening and why this was important for the Twin Peaks series as well. <laughs> um, everything with Teresa Banks. Yeah, um, and what's the name of the character now as well? It's a uh, Chester Desmond,
0: Chester Desmond, and Sam Stanley.
1: Oh, I thought we were settling into a different type of film, and then it completely changes at like yeah. the half hour mark, mm-hmm. and it completely caught me off guard. Cause I, yeah. I will say, Fire Walk with Me. I do know that it's a film where apparently David Lynch didn't get to make the director's cut that he wanted, and there were, was a lot excised from that film. However, I don't know anything about the actual story. I didn't know whom it followed or what was going to be included in this. I knew it was vaguely going to have some Laura Palmer stuff in there as well. i tried Mm, to stay away from everything related to this film. So I was essentially a fire walk with me virgin (laughs) and that change in the film completely caught me off guard and i think i actually text you at some point this is some wild shit
0: yeah text me this is wild <laughs>
1: yep yeah. and that, that was the moment the moment that he picked up that ring from where the trailer had been that's the moment i text you because it it, it, it changed then
0: <laughs> yeah they shot a lot for this film There's about 5 hours of worth of footage i think which about 90 minutes worth is on the Twin Peaks Blu-ray box set. Yeah. Although some of that is actually extended scenes, so it's not entirely like 90 minutes of new stuff. It's more like extended scenes or uh, there are quite a few completely exercise scenes with actors who never actually appeared in the film at all yeah but um there's quite a few things that are just sort of extensions of scenes that were very much truncated in the final version of the film i think a lot of it was actually more down to streamlining the film yeah uh, to be more centered on laura rather than the other inhabitants because even if you watch the missing pieces you can kind of see that they're more like vignettes of the other characters. They're not really informing the story that much. There's a couple of things that do, but a lot of it doesn't. So I think that's why they kind of pared it down mm-hmm. to sort of focus more on that central story of Laura and her last days.
1: So I will ask as well, was this a film where David Lynch was forced to excise parts away from the film, like to, to mm. cut chunks out? Or was it a decision that he made himself?
0: I think that was the decision he made himself because the general plan with this... Because they announced the films not long after the cancellation of the series. Because basically, what happened was, I think the after episode nine of season two, when everything got wrapped up, the ratings just dropped off a cliff. Yeah, and it got to a situation where CBS, who were running the show at the time, they would not air the last six episodes, and they basically campaigned really hard to to air them, even though by this point Lynch had left actual creative control and it was completely well i would say not completely in control of mark frost i think this is where a lot of other people started getting involved and and it gets very murky and the whole concept of the show just goes completely out the window yeah and i think once they managed to get these six episodes back on the schedule David Lynch comes back into the fold to sort of try and save it in some way because it had gotten so off track in the second half of the the second season. So he comes back for episode 22 and completely changes everything. Right. Like the way he utilizes characters that have been introduced since he left, everything's completely different. If you watch that episode after watching episode 21, it's like night and day. And then, yeah, these films, I was going to say, were announced following the conclusion of that because I think after... Doing episode 22, he kind of fell back in love with the concepts and the whole thing that he had going for Twin Peaks, uh, and he wanted to continue it in some way. And this is where he kind of slightly falls out with Mark Frost, who was the other co-creator, because they couldn't decide whether to continue the story or, or go back and do a prequel. And to be honest, in terms of what David Lynch wanted to do, it was kind of very necessary to do a prequel because he he kind of felt that he needed to go back to Laura because she was the sort of key to it all. Yeah. Very much like Jar Jar Binks, he's the key to all this. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the idea was that this was going to be the the prequel and then the films that followed would be much more of a continuation but would very much explore other areas of the Black Lodge and the whole mythos surrounding that But this got again truncated because of the completely disastrous reception that awaited the film on its release yeah it's kind of weird to think about the fact that this film was booed at Cannes once the credits started rolling i mean i just got a couple of quotes here from people so basically yeah so i think it's from an article from variety or something It basically said um when the credits rolled any positive responses from the Cannes crowd were drowned out by booze <laughs> reviewers lined up to give the film a shiner the new york Times' vincent canby summed up the general mood it's not the worst movie ever made, it just seems to be, he wrote. It glazes the eyes and the mind. Uh, and it goes on to say, even fellow filmmakers stuck in the boot. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, very much fresh off Reservoir Dogs at this time, uh, was quoted as saying that one of his favourite directors had disappeared so far up his own arse, I have no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. <laughs> Basically, the film was, was completely buried at that time, and it took... An awful long time for it to be reappraised, and for some, it took until the release of the 2017 series for people to sort of really, really start reappraising the film because the film, in a lot of ways, is more important than the than the original series when it comes to the the new mm. series in terms of where it heads. Where and what it explores. I
1: did know about its uh, disastrous premiere at Cannes. That's become this quite infamous event yeah. now in <laughs> David Lynch's history. Yeah. And so I was coming into this film expecting that, but I actually really responded to it in a very positive way. I I felt it was just incredibly sad. Yeah. And it's laced with this crawling under your skin sense of dread that is mm-hmm. prevalent throughout the entire film and when I got into bed, I could not switch my brain off because yeah. it was like near four o'clock in the morning and I still could not switch my brain off because <laughs> I still had this sense of dread deep inside yeah. me that I just couldn't stop thinking about. And I will say that what works in its favour as well, comparing Twin Peaks to Fire Walk With Me, is I know that you have mentioned that this is like a stepping stone between that series and the 2017 series.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I haven't seen a season three yet. That's something I'm certainly going to rectify very shortly. But I do feel like Fire Walk with me, it does drop the more soap operatic elements of the series. Yeah. And becomes something else. It it, it doesn't it's not just that it plays up the bizarre elements, it's just that it becomes something just a touch more cinematic, I would say, as well. Especially in a ways that it shows you the character Bob as well. I remember the first time you see Bob in the film, when Laura Palmer walks into her bedroom. I don't actually know if it yeah. is the first time. It's very early on. And you get that shot down his throat. Yeah, and man, that caught me off guard. <laughs> I jumped out of my skin, actually. And I don't know, this film, it was working on me. It really did. It worked on me.
0: Yeah, it's totally very different to the series. It's funny when you watch episode 22, you can kind of see him feeling his way to where he would be when he made the film. Um, That's probably the most, up to that point, the most serious take on Twin Peaks. Yeah. Having said that, there is still quite a lot of humour in the film. And also, uh, especially when you start going into the deleted scenes as well, there's quite a lot of humour that was sort of cut for time, really, because it wasn't really needed. It was very much pared down to sort of focus it on Laura rather than jumping around everybody Mm -hmm. when uh, they didn't need to. Yeah, this is very much David Lynch's Twin Peaks now because there's no involvement from Mark Frost. Yeah, Although it was co-written with uh, Robert Engels, who was one of the other writers on the show, so it's still got more connections to the TV show. But this is David Lynch taking the reins because he feels the show had gone so far off track that he he needed to sort of take more control of it.
1: And take it back to its core, essentially.
0: Yeah, because even when, I even know when they did the, the 2017 series, even though Mark Frost is involved and is credited as the writer, after they did their initial drafts, I know that David Lynch went and rewrote a lot of it before filming and also whilst on set as well. So it's still very much his baby. And even the books, I know you've got some of those uh, secret histories of Twin Peaks and stuff like that. Yeah. Some of that's quite inaccurate, but it's meant to be yeah because it's kind of sort of found documents and reportage and stuff so a lot of that isn't actually accurate to Mm -hmm. what actually happens but yeah i think the general change in in tone and feel i think was what really put people off guard back in 92 and why they didn't respond to it which i don't understand because it may be different to the tv show but when you compare it to other david lynch films it's very much a piece with those if you compare it to wild at heart Very much a a companion to Wild at Heart.
1: That was what I kept going back to because Wild at Heart is perhaps one of my favourite David Lynch films. We normally go for the likes of Blue Velvet and that type of thing. But actually, Wild at Heart is one of my favourites as well. But also, to actually go to your point, just a little bit of anecdotal evidence to back that up. But I know people in my life that love Twin Peaks, the series. Mm Mm-hmm but hate the film and season three. Yeah. Because it's far more David Lynch than it is Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. And I struggled to not see David Lynch in Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. But other people, I think they... um, I can see how people can relate it to more like the types of soap operas that were coming out at the time, and they see it as part of that, and they want it as part of that. And when you start to get into the more bizarre David lynchian of it, it kind of loses them.
0: I think also, if you're in love with the aspect of Twin Peaks, then you're definitely not on board with the whole intention behind it. It was made as a reaction to the television that was being made in the 1980s. Yeah. That kind of case of the week, yeah. all done and dusted within the hour, onto the next thing. It was basically designed to be a reaction against and also parody the tropes of that kind of show and all the soap opera elements in it are they're fed from the tragedy but it's the fact that the tragedy is underlying and doesn't get solved which is why when it did get solved the whole ask drops out of it because that was the whole point. Yeah. The whole point was for that never to be solved. And when that got solved, David Enders was like, I'm done. Yeah. There's no point doing this. And he obviously found a way of getting back into it. But it was like no one else was on board with that vision. Even, even Mark Frost. There just seemed to be a lot of like, where just people weren't understanding the intentions behind it. And that's why season two goes so far off track and why people are just not on board with Fire Walk With Me. Although it's strange with season three because I know season three has a lot of detractors and I can kind of see why. And there's also, there's there's reasons why I'm re-editing it because I think the way that was made and the way it had to be broadcast created a couple of problems. But when you start looking into the whole thing and, and, and all the ideas behind it, it becomes very satisfying very quickly. Yeah. The reception of this really hurt him. I think it took till Mulholland Drive for his reputation to be restored, which is like a full nine years later.
1: Speaking about what you've just mentioned, one of the people that actually didn't respond to Twin Peaks at the time was Bob Iger himself. Yeah. And I read Bob Iger's book uh, when it first came out a few months ago. I think it was the tail end of last year. Mm -hmm. He does go into quite a lot of detail as to his failings with that series because he does recognise that he got it wrong. Mm -hmm. It does sound like both he and David Lynch had a very fractured relationship, one that was very terrible turbulent when it came to making that series and it does seem like the push for solving that series did come from bob iger himself which makes it rather funny that the evil bad guy throughout the entire series is named bob yeah (laughs) we do talk about david lynch there's nothing that he does that isn't thought out that doesn't have meaning yeah that does seem like it's bang on the nose in that regard yeah. The most corrupted individual of Twin Peaks is Bob.
0: Did you get the other reference in the film early on with the the sheriff of uh, is it Deer Meadow? He's called Sheriff Cable. Oh no, I didn't quite catch that. Yeah, he's called Sheriff Cable. And what's that in reference to? Well, to Cable Networks. Oh, (laughs) yeah,
1: of course.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's so much, like, when you go into the details in the sets as well, like, for example, in Sheriff Cable's office, there's a big wood saw in the background. Yeah. And that's not there by chance. That's there to say that Sheriff Cable is a woodcutter. Mm -hmm. And when you start getting into the mythology and, and the whole ideas behind Twin Peaks, him being a woodcutter is very significant. Yeah. So there's little things like that all throughout the whole thing, which just... That's why people go, oh, it's bizarre and blah, 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 It's like, I think in David Lynch's mind, it's like, it's not bizarre. Everything makes sense to me. It's just you're not getting it. Well, that's it. I think that's part of it.
1: I mean, always on a first watch when it comes to David Lynch film is you're deciphering what David Lynch is thinking. And the moment that you click into it, the moment that you discover the key for that, suddenly all of the pieces start to fit into place. And that's yeah. part of the yeah. joy about watching a David Lynch film. And I certainly feel like I'm going to have that With Firewalk with me, especially trying to decipher what the fuck happened with David Bowie. That is going to be something that (laughs) I am going to need to look into at length and find out what Mm -hmm. was going on there. As I will say, out of the entire film, that was the part that did feel like something had happened in the editing room.
0: I think originally that whole sequence was about 20 minutes long and it was very much separated out into its constituent parts. So you had the Philip Jeffries section. Yeah. There's so much more with David Bowie that they shot that, they, that it's not in the film, which is a bit weird. It is
1: very strange that you would have a name like David Bowie in your film. Yeah. And not, not really make the most of that.
0: Yeah. I think it was more down to, he knew that he wanted this part of the section in the film, but he didn't want it to go on too long because really it's like the little bridge between the Deer Meadow, Chester Desmond section and the Laurel Palmer main body of the film. Uh, And I think the main reason why he truncated it so much is that he didn't want it to be too long. He wanted to get to the next thing quicker. Mm -hmm. But this was the only place where he could really put it in the film. The idea of him coming in and walking past Dale Cooper paused the idea of that is that David Bowie literally pauses the movie to do his thing and then exits the movie as quickly as he enters it and then the movie can start going again. And that's the whole idea about the why Dale Cooper pauses on, this, on the video screen. Right. Because I think the thing is uh, worth remembering that Twin Peaks is a very self-aware show. I mean, I, I don't want to start using the word meta because it's such a wanky term. and And I think this kind of thing was doing that kind of idea... Earlier than a lot of other shows, but it's very much a self-aware, metaphorical kind of show where yeah. it knows it's a, a TV series slash film and it plays with it. But yeah, that whole sequence, if you watch it on The Missing Pieces, it goes with the David Bowie in, in Buenos Aires. And then he appears in Philadelphia, talks about the convenience store, and then it shows the convenience store scene in its entirety, Mm -hmm. which I think is about five minutes long, when you've got the woodsman and the jumping man and the arm and Bob. Yeah. All that's completely separated out, so you can actually follow it more. So I think if I do ever do like a re-edit of that, I might sort of play around with that part of the the deleted scenes because that's something i think could probably do with a little bit more clarity but yeah i understand why he sort of basically decided to sort of put everything over the top of each other to try and get through it a bit quicker (laughs) but yeah i can completely understand that is completely mystifying it it, it was it (laughs) was it it
1: left me completely baffled at that point but um, i will say as well with the black lodge individuals all of those type of characters as well these characters that almost exist in a spirit realm i don't know if i'm speaking correctly in any way shape or form here (laughs) But I do feel like I still don't know the mythology of that cast of characters, how they came to be, what their intentions are, and I want to know more. Does the third series it go into more depth as to what is happening behind the curtain?
0: It does a bit. It does go into the origins of certain things, but a lot of it is down to interpretation I mean, that, that's why that video is so useful. Yeah. Because if you are interested in knowing about that kind of stuff, that's where to go. Right. It's not one of those clickbaity videos. It really is like someone's written this thesis and then they put it in as a YouTube video. A lot of thought's gone into it. Yeah. It's one of those things where I can either imagine David Lynch would be really pleased that someone got it or really quite angry. <laughs> <laughs> say that Because I know, uh, at the, I think some part in the video, basically, uh, David Lynch is very uh, guarded when it comes to... Oh,
1: yeah. He, he refuses to give any explanation about any of his films yeah
0: because apparently uh once he'd done all the interviews for the book lynch on lynch he actually checked himself into a uh a rape crisis center really yeah so he's very guarded if he ever got wind of the fact that i was probably re-editing season three he'd probably uh wouldn't be too <laughs> pleased because <laughs> the strange thing is i was very much like deliberating whether to do it or not because especially having understood how all this works the editing on season three is quite sluggish at times but i think it's deliberately so mm-hmm. i don't think anything is left to chance with that i just felt like I, I could do something that was maybe a little bit pacier that had more in common with Firewalk with me because when you compare Firewalk with me to the limited series Firewalk with, with me is, is very zippy yeah it moves quite fast compared to the later series which is moves quite slowly actually at times i think but yeah it's very much deliberate i think that it that it does that uh, but it's just my sort of having a bit of an experiment, really.
1: Well, I still haven't seen it. It's still definitely on my to-watch list. Mm. I do have a few notes as well about Fire Walk with me specifically that I think it's yeah. time yeah. that we 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 get into. I will say it's always yeah. good to see Harry Dean Stanton in oh, yeah. a David Lynch joint, and he, <laughs> he, he owns it once more. I, I feel like there are these actors, such as Harry Dean Stanton and Laura Dern, I feel like they work so well in David Lynch environments because there's already a type of weirdness to them and a weird vulnerability to them anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I think he just taps into these type of actors that gravitate towards him, that makes his style so hard to imitate elsewhere. And I will say one of the things that I I do see it elsewhere, actually, is it reminds me of when I watch um, Todd Browning's Freaks, uh, which we mentioned on a previous episode where it's, Yeah, it's not just that you're watching actors, but you're watching people where this is their life as well.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of actors that he he uses time and time again. Um, the original one of that was Jack Nance, who'd um, been in almost every major David Lynch film. Yeah, because obviously he was the lead in a Razorhead, and then he appeared in. Pretty much every David Lynch film, including the deleted scenes of this, because he's not in Fire With Me, but he's in the deleted scenes. Ah, right. And he's in Lost Highway, which was his final one before his death. But obviously, his role in Twin Peaks was um, Pete Martell, who's the first guy to find Laura Palmer wrapped in plastic. Yeah. I think once he develops an affinity with a certain actor, he will continually reuse them time and time mm-hmm. again, because... I think getting these films made is um, difficult in of itself. So to have people on board with your project who just enjoy working with you yeah. is uh, half the battle, I think.
1: Of course. And I will say, it, in Fire with Me, the one that shines through the brightest is obviously uh, Laura Palmer herself, Cheryl Lee. Mm-hmm. She owns this film. Yeah, completely. I, I mean, with the Twin Peaks series, obviously she has her appearances within that series and always leaves an impression, especially when she is playing the, what I would refer to as the corrupted Laura Palmer spirit thing. Yeah. That's always quite terrifying. But also, Laura Palmer's twin sister, is it?
0: Uh, it's like a cousin. Cousin. Oh,
1: it's a cousin. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Who looks exactly yeah. the same as Laura yeah. Palmer. But this is the one where she really gets to get her teeth into who the character is.
0: Yeah.
1: She knows that something's coming, this train, this something furious is is coming to essentially tear her apart and it's mm-hmm. fueling her entire destructive behaviour throughout the entire film. Yeah, yeah. And that's what made it so sad for me is both her and also obviously as well, Ray Wise. Uh, Ray Wise? It is Ray Wise, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I nearly said Ray Park then. That would be an entirely <laughs> different film. Yeah, Ray Wise, again, brilliant. Mm. I mean, he cries in everything, but he still makes it work. Every, every episode of Twin Peaks, he always finds a place <laughs> to cry.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it was good for both those two actors because I think doing this film in comparison to the TV show, uh, I think it gave them a lot more to work with. Because, yeah, yeah. Um, in the TV series, Cheryl Lee doesn't really get to do an awful lot. And same goes with Ray Wise because even though... you know, he ends up being very significant to the story. Mm -hmm. What he actually does in the show, yeah, he basically does cry in every single scene that he's in. (laughs) So, yeah, to give him a lot more depth and nuance in the film is um, very much, I think, welcome.
1: No, absolutely. And obviously I will say as well that Bob himself remains completely and utterly terrifying to me. (laughs) Such a great actor that I've not seen in anything else. I believe he was just like a crewman that David Lynch simply liked the look of. And so he became part of that mythology.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know he passed away not that long after doing the film. I think a couple of years after doing the film, which is why when they have used him again in the new series, they've just had to use archive footage and bits and bobs to try and uh, right. bring him back into the, um, into the series. I mean, the new series is a bit like a morgue for actors anyway because quite a few of them died before the thing was finished or, or mm. have subsequently died. There's like, if you look at the end credits of each episode, there's usually a tribute to somebody... <laughs> Yeah, which is, which is kind of strange. But it's nice that actually quite a few of them ended up doing their final performances on on something like that. It's quite a good um, epitaph. I know Harry Dean Stanton. I think that's one of his last performances in the new series. Yeah. But yeah, Bob is just completely terrifying. Yeah, and it was completely by accident. I think, yeah, he was a set dresser on the pilot. I think he was just reflected in the mirror during a setup. And yeah. David Lynch just completely latched onto his look and decided to use him... When they did the pilot, they had to create an ending for Broadcast in Europe, just in case it never went to series. I accidentally watched that episode, that version of the episode, (laughs) when
1: I first started the series for the very first time, when this new box set came out. I will say as well, just before we go any further, the box set that I have is fucking awful. (laughs) Whoever designed that box is terrible because all my discs keep falling out of it now every time I open it up. But I, I accidentally, I thought, oh, extended version of the episode. I think I'll watch <laughs> that one, and then it kind of wrapped everything up in the final, <laughs> final minutes. I was like, what? Yeah. So um, I had to do some internet search and then to find out what the hell had happened.
0: Yeah, it's like one of those choose your own adventure books, and it takes you right to the end <laughs> in the first, in the first choice. <laughs> But yeah, they had to come up with some sort of ending for that pilot, and then, yeah, utilising Mike and the guy playing Bob. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what goes down, but it's something involving the sawmill. It is. I
1: can't remember exactly what went down. It was no. quite a long time ago, but I do remember it is in the sawmill. It's in the basement somewhere and he's about to kill somebody else and Cooper yeah. comes yeah. in and saves the day.
0: Yeah, it was never intended to be the official explanation. It was just always there as a uh, as a safety, really. Yeah, Obviously, luckily, it did go to series and they ended up making the first season which is very short that season's only like seven episodes long yeah it's a bit of a shame yeah a british
1: season you would call it
0: yeah i never understood the pressure to solve the laura palmer case because it didn't go on for that many episodes when you actually look at it in context i think the whole thing's about 17 episodes or something like that yeah you think about nowadays with in terms of like arcs going on for seasons and seasons that's nothing i mean when you start looking into all this and the battles that they had you can see how influential the the show as a whole was to to modern television Seeding things through and and keeping things going for a long period of time. And unfortunately for them, because they were the first to do it, they got their hands burnt. And this is why we've got a film.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You can see its influence as well throughout the entirety of TV through the 90s as well. But I I noticed a few places like Mm. The X Files certainly has a Twin Peaksy element to it. I know The X Files TV series came to have more. Like overt references to Twin Peaks, as well as the series went on, they had a, a few episodes that really made very strong references to Twin Peaks. But also, I felt a connection to—I know that you haven't played this, but the game Silent Hill as well. Yeah. But yeah, watching Twin Peaks and watching the film last night, it reminded me just how much influence that it had over TV and film following its release. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. One thing that I can't leave discussion of Twin Peaks without making mention of, though, is Gordon's sister david lynch's <laughs> sister and in, in the first like five minutes so the cousin lil oh is it cousin lil i thought it was sister cousin, oh yeah, it's, it's cousin, cousin lil. lil yeah, yeah sorry i wrote sister in my notes yeah it's cousin lil uh with I've, re- <laughs> I've written orange scrunched up sour face and it's all code for some reason for unknown reasons it's all code for what the case is to be
0: yeah uh, I-,
1: <laughs> I thought that was magnificent yeah is that like a parody on the coded ways these people talk to each other
0: it's a parody on the audience, to
1: be honest. Trying to decipher what's going on behind the scenes. That was actually what I wrote as my second thing.
0: It's one of those things that probably works better now than it did at the time because especially now with the uh, with the advent of YouTube and comment sections and stuff, yeah. you know how people read so many things into, into it, yeah. Into things that just aren't there, usually. Mm-hmm. Or if there's like detail in the background and you know, people pick up on it. And um it's basically yeah, just a complete sort of parody slash tribute <laughs> to those yeah people
1: <laughs> yeah I can absolutely see it's like the the, the mystery I guess it's the yeah. whole play on the Laura Palmer mystery that saw even back then when message boards were in their infancy people were still rushing to them to post their theories as to what could be happening week
0: after week Twin Peaks is one of the first shows where the fan theory started to come into prominence it sort of lit the fire under that phenomenon of dedicated fandom and, and watching episodes multiple times. Because I know there were people who, who taped the episodes of Twin Peaks and watched them hundreds of times to try and decipher exactly what was going on. I was reading about people actually sending tapes to each other. Yeah. Yeah, Like doing the
1: rounds where people would be part of groups back then. They would send tapes of certain episodes around and they would just like go around the people around the group so that by the end of it you'd seen the whole series.
0: Yeah, it, 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 was, it was kind of crazy how intense the buzz was surrounding the series initially yeah. and how it just fizzled out almost immediately to the point where this film just got completely shunned and ignored. Yeah, I don't really understand it, to be honest. It really doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, would you say that we're getting towards our final thoughts on...
0: because there's so much I could talk about, but I I wouldn't want to spoil it for anybody, to be honest. No. And also for you, because obviously I know what quite a lot of this stuff means. Yeah. But I don't want to tell you that, because it would spoil it for you watching the rest of the series, so...
1: Well, then, just to give my final thoughts on Fire Walk With Me and what it meant to me watching that film as well is, one, it's definitely a a film that I would recommend. Yeah. But I should have definitely have watched the... entirety of the series as well especially the last episode
0: <laughs> as long as you can get through the, the mid-season lull, which is pretty brutal
1: <laughs> yeah and to be honest with the amount that people put up with with tv these days anyway it's like it's nothing really yeah. for what is a stepping stone to other great things but in regards to the film and the effect that it had on me like i say i felt it was just in a way that was overpowering it was just very very sad to me yeah yeah. especially the scenes where in the lodge as a sex worker as well not the black lodge but in whatever club that was oh in the pink room in, in the pink room that's the one because yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it is in the series the pink room as well isn't it mm. like all of that stuff as well where you're seeing just how far this character has fallen yeah I, I responded to it in a big way it just kind of felt and, and I took it away with me this sense of dread and I just couldn't shake it
0: yeah it's very doom laden
1: I will say though that for somebody that snorts quite a lot of cocaine especially before bed she sleeps quite well yeah I mean, not that I've seen many people snort coke, but I've never seen somebody do three lines of coke and then go to bed. Like... <laughs> So that, that, that made me chuckle. But yeah, it's definitely a film that I would recommend and it, it it's made me want to know more. It's, I feel like for a film called Fire With Me, I feel like a fire's been lit inside me to read and watch more about Twin Peaks now as well. Yeah. And how about yourself, Andy? Because I know this was your suggestion as well for this episode, a very good suggestion. Yeah. I'm really glad to have I've discussed it today as well.
0: Because I generally didn't know how well it would go down with you. <laughs> I know, I <laughs> loved it. It's one of those. It's very much a Marmite film. Yeah, uh, you either love it or you hate it. You, no, I love no, it. I, there's yeah. no in between with it, really. But there's so much to unpack with it. I mean, it's only two hours and fifteen minutes long, but it's like a TV show in, in itself. Especially when you start going into all the ideas behind uh, all the different things, like just the, the sheer amount of detail in yeah. the film that goes back and forth. Because because yeah, it, when when you start watching the the, the new season, it uses Fire Walk with Me as as it's it really is the touchstone yeah it's the heart of the concept really mm-hmm. it's a shame that they didn't end up making any more films because i know some of the ideas they had were a slightly different to what they ended up coming up with later on um, a couple of things are quite a few things aren't but yeah i think the general feeling it gives you is very unique i mean this will be a good time to talk about the The score as well, because I was going to mention it when you were mentioning the the pink room sequences, because the score is oh yes is quite powerful in the film and very unconventional. Well,
1: the score for the series is iconic.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: it's not something that I listen to outside of watching Twin Peaks. Whereas when I watched Fire Walk With Me last night, there was a few cues within that film that I was like, I actually want to give this a listen. I actually want to take this from the film as well and, and see how this plays out.
0: Yeah, it's a very good soundtrack album. And that Pink Room music gets reused so much for documentaries these days. Yeah. I think there's about three documentaries I've watched in the last year that have used that Pink Room music. (laughs) Um, With the... (laughs) It's just like, yeah. Just captures a feeling instantly. I mean, that whole section of the film is very intense. Uh, I mean... It's incredibly intense. Did the version that you watched have subtitles?
1: It did, but I put subtitles on the film anyway.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough.
1: I wrote in my notes as well, one of the things that I felt was refreshing about that entire scene was music was playing in an environment where it felt like it was mixed at a level that was more realistic to how it would actually sound. Yeah. Which really added a great deal of authenticity to it.
0: The general sound design of the film is pretty great. I mean, I I need to get a new version of the film because the, the one I've got is the initial Blu-ray, which has got loads of uh, audio defects on it. Yeah. Where the sound issue just like blips all the time. It's sort of, you know, when you get that thing on a dodgy tape where it goes... Ning! Yeah. It keeps doing that every like couple of minutes. But also it's the British print of the film. And I know that the the British print of the film, for some reason, because David Lynch couldn't make his mind up whether the film should have subtitles in those moments or not. For British distribution, they'd already made enough prints for when he decided that he did want subtitles. They'd already made too many, so they didn't change it. So on the British print of the film, there's no subtitles at all throughout the entire film, including all the Black Lodge scenes or anything like that. So I actually had to watch it again because I've got another copy of the film with the subtitles I watched those scenes again this morning uh, just to decipher what they were talking about and some of it was completely <laughs> different to what I thought it was going to be and it is some of it's quite important as well cuz obviously the very first line in that sequence is welcome to canada and I think when I very when I watched the film for the very first time uh, which was quite a long time ago I think I stupidly watched this before I watched the series which I would not recommend Anybody do?
1: No, you warned me off that before I started the series. Yeah,
0: I mean, it. it <laughs> I don't think it mattered too much because it completely baffled me anyway when I first saw it. Because it cuts from the the roadhouse, the bar, which is the bar that they have in the TV show, to that room. Mm-hmm. I thought it was in the same place initially when it's when it's not. There is a yeah. jump in time. But yeah, having those subtitles out of the thing completely changes the context of the scene. I imagine so. I'd say it's more intense without the subtitles than it is with the subtitles because at least you can decipher something. But when it's basically them talking very inaudibly under this torrent of very intense music and everything that's going on with the strobe lighting and everything, yeah, it's that whole sort of 10 minute section of the film is is, uh, probably one of the most intense cinematic things I've ever experienced, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I will say as well, that's part of what makes Cheryl Lee's performance so, like, it draws you in, is her ability to switch on a dime from strong to vulnerable to very intense to downright scary. She can jump between those emotions with such speed that it gives me whiplash. Yeah, yeah. It's a film, I will say, that throughout is keeping you off guard. It's finding ways to keep you unbalanced. And her performance is one of the, I would say, most prominent components that makes that so effective. Not just David Lynch's wonderful direction and cinematography and the look of the place and everything like that, but her performance as well. It wouldn't work without her performance.
0: No, no. Strange to think that she was just hired to be the sort of video inserts and the body in the bag initially. And I think it's a great shame that the film wasn't well received when it came out because I kind of feel like it could have done wonders for her career but i think yeah in actual fact it kind of took her a long time to sort of come back from i think emotionally as well because i think she kind of threw her
1: all into it really
0: went all in yeah she sort of basically gave all that she could for the film and it, it shows on screen as well
1: yeah you can see it's, it's all she leaves nothing behind it's all on the screen No, i think we can both say with that said that fire walk on me is a film that we would recommend I would say I would recommend it to a certain type of audience a certain type of listener yeah and if you respond to that David Lynch world this is going to be a film for you and there's nothing wrong with the fact if you don't I can see how it wouldn't work for you but yeah I would certainly recommend it yeah yeah so moving on uh, this is a new part of our show we're going to start discussing as well current goings on in the industry as well what movie news that we do have and during the coronavirus there's very little movie news out there but one of the big pieces of uh, news that has come out recently is the Snyder Cut the Justice League Snyder Cut is actually being released and this is something that I know that we've not discussed on microphone before we've not discussed on recording but we've certainly discussed it together in the past Mm. this is certainly something that I didn't think was going to see the light of
0: day the Snyder Cut what are your feelings towards that (sighs) I think it's going to be one of those things that becomes very anticlimactic when it eventually surfaces i'm trying to think of another example of a film that was or even like a release of something that was so mythologized and then when it came out it was like oh it's it's all right yeah there's two that spring to mind with me like prince is the black album which is a, a biggie because that was like a mythological album that that was literally got to the pressing stages and he ordered all the records to be destroyed because he thought yeah. it was against god and and they released it eventually in 94 <laughs> and um it's all right you know but the whole thing surrounding it was was massive same thing with um there's a Doctor Who story called Sharda which was scuppered by industrial action, and it never got finished. Uh, they filmed all the outside scenes and half the studio scenes, but it was never finished. And they only released it in a truncated form with a bit of narration. And then a couple of years ago, they finished it with uh, animation and, and getting the voice cast back together and finishing the script. And um, it's fine. <laughs> but for many, many years, it was said to be this great lost classic Yeah. That was something that we needed to have back. I have a funny feeling that the same thing's going to happen with this film. I mean, I don't think it can be any worse than the release version, but I don't know how much better it will be.
1: I went back to my review of Justice League on my YouTube channel. I did put up a review. I think I gave it two out of five. Mm. And I said that it was a step up from Batman vs. Superman and that it was more fun. But I remember I really... To just go over it as well, Man of Steel, I think, is a film that works more often than it doesn't, but it doesn't work so hard in that last act. Yeah. It falls apart so heavily in that last act that it undercuts what makes the film work earlier on. And I think if they had really just taken what worked about Man of Steel and then took that to a sequel and gone from there, then it would have been better. But Batman vs Superman it seems to indulge all of the worst aspects of Man of Steel, and then elaborate on them further. So Justice League being at least something approaching fun, I think, made me give it a star more. So I gave it something like two out of five stars. And the idea of this Justice League Snyder Cut, I will say I'm always always happy to see an alternate version of a film. I always like seeing it, but just simply out of curiosity. I will say it is a film that I am certainly going to watch because I'm curious as to where it could be. I have a feeling that it's just simply going to be much of the same, just darker, Yeah. but of the same level in terms of quality.
0: What I'm more interested in is what they're going to leave out of the film than what's actually going to be in the film because I'm kind of approaching it in the context that I think this is a a new cut it's not that work print that people keep talking about because one i don't think it really actually ever existed in a a full form i think that whole line of inquiry got abandoned before anything got finalized and i i kind of feel like what we're going to end up with is something that was both a reaction to the reception of batman v superman but also a reaction to everything that's come since post justice league release so it's gonna have all that baggage but all that all that insight as well yeah so in terms of things like i mean the biggies uh from batman v superman were all the flash forward sections and all the things involving the flash yeah and all the really clunky stuff you know like lois is the key i'm oh, too yeah. soon and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff and obviously all the the Demon, evil superman all the other superheroes being set up with their own logos on the fucking <laughs> video stream <laughs> well
1: lex luther is responsible for giving these people their own logos <laughs>
0: Oh, the clunkiest origin stories ever committed to film. I have a funny feeling if there was anything like that in the previous version of the film that they were initially shooting, I have a funny feeling that's not going to be in this cut.
1: No, I have a feeling that they never got as far as to shoot that stuff. No. And I do know that for the Snyder cut of the film, it's been reported, whether or not this is true, it has been reported that Zack Snyder did want to see if he could get some of the actors back for reshoot. Mm Mm-hmm but the studio have put their foot down and they've put forward 20 to 30 million to finish the film and to put into post-production, but the most that they're allowing him to do in regards to the actors is additional ADR. Right, okay. I have a feeling that much in the same way that Superman 2 is Richard is Donner's... I was just going
0: to say the Donner cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it like is
1: Richard Donner's cut. Uh, the, 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 yeah. the Donner cut is his. It's still going to utilise a lot of the same material as is in the Justice League movie. I will say that if it does include any scenes of the CGI moustache, I think there'll be an outcry.
0: <laughs> Although, will they try and redo that? People
1: on YouTube have done it with far less resources much better. Oh, yeah, with
0: deepfake. Exactly. <laughs> and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, some of those comparisons, are, I don't know how why how they got that so wrong unless they literally had about 20 minutes to do it, which wouldn't surprise me. And it's something
1: like, they, they've referred to it as the, something like the $5 million moustache.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the other things as well that uh, that's intriguing me, on a purely technical level, which no one's probably talked about, what aspect ratio it's going to be in. Ooh. Because that, that was something that I found quite a noticeably different in the release of the of the initial theatrical... We can call it the initial version of the film now, which is yeah. bizarre in itself. But yeah, the fact that... It's, obviously it's full 16 the, by 9, isn't it? The Justice 16, League. 16 by 9. Yeah. And uh, I think every single other DC film... I'm not sure about some of the later ones, but basically all of them prior to it and and around that time were all. Um, was, I'm trying to think was Suicide Squad, in. I think it was. Yeah, yeah it was. So they were think all. In sort I think of...
1: Justice League definitely it, it it sits apart from them in terms of the aspect ratio. I'm I'm, I'm pretty certain of that actually.
0: Yeah, so they're all sort of 240, 235, two thirty five, weren't they? That kind of yeah. wider screen format. I'm not sure whether the decision to go to 16.9 was done later and they've retrofitted the, the um, Snyder footage with the Joss Whedon footage and come up with a compromise. So I'm going to be very interested to see whether it's still that 16.9 aspect ratio or whether they've gone back to the wider...
1: Well, apparently, in regards to the aspect ratio, Batman vs Superman did have a separate aspect ratio when it showed on the IMAX. Right, okay. So it was a, it was a longer picture, obviously, which makes me think that his footage for Justice League would have also have utilised that extra space top and bottom for IMAX, but it would have been cropped in for its home video release, much like everything else. And I have a feeling that all they've simply done is just not cropped in on the Zack Snyder footage and opened up the aspect ratio for the uh, additional material, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the other most interesting thing is is actually going to, in terms of an investigative film fan, just actually finding out exactly how much of Zack Snyder's film ended up in that initial release as opposed to the Joss Whedon stuff because it does seem likely that I'd say at least 50% of that initial release was Joss Whedon footage.
1: Yes I mean uh, Zack Snyder's said before that it's 20% 20% of his material is in Justice League but he also says that he's not seen the Justice League movie. Right okay. He's only simply going by what other people have relayed to him as to what actually happens in that film and his opinion is that it's come to around about 20% he's not actually seen a film but it does seem watching justice league that a considerable amount of that film has been visibly reshot
0: there's so much in that initial version of the film where it just feels like they've had no money to finish it like there's those lois martha scenes when they're sitting in the daily planet and it looks like they've just shot in in somebody's office yeah it's like this is a 300 million dollar film guys and just the insane amount of green screened obvious footage and and where um, you can tell where affleck's in shape or out of shape <laughs> things like that yeah
1: yeah so many, can.
0: yeah, I, yeah I, I don't think i mean like i say there's a there's a lot
1: of hate going at josh whedon now as well for they're referring to as the justice league for that, that <laughs> cut of the film which i actually think is an inspired choice um but I think a lot of flax being thrown his way for doing something which was essentially a salvage operation anyway. That film was destined to fail from the beginning. Yeah. And again, this is just my opinion. It's I'm not saying it's the right opinion. I do feel like the Snyder version, it's not going to be any better. It's just going to be a different kind of complicated and <laughs> probably flawed, but just in a different way. And and I'm happy to be surprised if it's any better than, than what's on display because I, I really hated Batman versus Superman. I hated it. I hated both cuts. People keep saying as well that the extended cut. Oh, that's the cut you can see already. Like, look at the difference there, and it's like, no, no. The, the ba- Batman vs Superman, the director's cut, the extended cut. It's still bad. It's just more coherently bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've only ever seen the extended cut of that anywhere because I never went to see the film at the cinema because you just gave me such hugely awful reports of it. I remember you'd basically just sort of checked out after the... Um... Yeah, after Batman vs Superman fact. Is it the Deems Day bit? The moment he made an appearance, we had to leave the cinema. Yeah.
1: I was with my wife, she was pregnant at the time, and at that point it wasn't worth the discomfort of sitting there to, to watch it yeah. any further, so we left. I mean, the fact that the whole film was about Batman going up again Superman and essentially that whole conflict climax with a fight in an empty warehouse Mm. with them hitting each other with sinks or some shit I was like (laughs) this is the dullest version of that story yeah but I'm still morbidly curious as to what the Zack Snyder cut is but one of my things with it that I did want to mention is I'm worried as to the precedent this sets as well for the industry that this is going to happen it's really entitlement that has led to this film being released in this new form yeah i will say that the people that have been baying for the snyder Cut haven't exactly been the nicest of fans they've done it in a way that isn't particularly positive it's been a dirty fight that's been fought very dirty and they've essentially won and i think moving forward if there's a footage on the table this is the way that it's going to be demanded from the studios, and what cuts are we going to see in the future? What cuts are going yeah. to arise from this?
0: It's one of those things that could go both ways. It could be, even if the film's shit, people will still defend it to the hilt, yeah, because reasons. Or those fans will go, "Oh, you're right, it was shit." We i like wasted my life. About, we were half, a, yeah. i wasted <laughs> three years of my life. Um, yeah, it was, it's going to go one of the one of those two ways. But it's it's one of those things where it's like. Is it going to set a precedent or is this just a unique situation, one, surrounding this particular film because it was so heavily publicised and two, because of this current outbreak and this is a way of generating new content for very little money that's already existing
1: exactly they're essentially making a a new film for 20 to
0: 30 million that they know is going to have some sort of built-in audience exactly yeah the only other thing in terms of the actual filmmaking that i'm a little bit intrigued by and this comes down to sort of the fact that it's going to be obviously a very different version of the film is that Who's actually going to do the score? Because I can imagine that it they can't use the score that was written for the initial version of the film because no. none of it's going to match. And whether it's going to be someone like Junkie XL or you know who they had originally. It is
1: Junkie XL. They've announced right. that it will be with the original composer. But on the press release that I read, they didn't mention him by name. They just mentioned that it will be they will be resuming production with the original post-production crew.
0: I can imagine it will be, though.
1: I can as well. I mean, at this moment in time as well, we've got a lot of uh, filmmakers and composers and editors as well that are unable to do the work that they that they want to do because nobody's able to film. Yeah. So there's no no footage to work with for a lot of people. So this is like, they've essentially got a film already in the can. It And as you mentioned, I can't see this actually happening, this situation happening without the virus in a way, without the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, one question I was going to ask Andy, is there any film out there that you would like to see get its own? I hesitate to use the word Snyder Cut, but... <laughs> Any film out there that you would like to see get its director's cut?
0: Ooh, I'm not sure. As someone who does fan edits anyway, I kind of sometimes do them for myself. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's it's difficult to say which one could benefit because a lot of this stuff is usually behind closed doors. Yeah. Like Justice League is a very unique case where its production was very much publicised from the beginning. The problems that it had were just ongoing. So, for example, like, obviously I've done a a few fan edits of, say, something like Spectre, and then if you go back to the original script or one of the earlier drafts of the script, you can see that it's actually a much better film and it's been hampered. But that's one of those cases where there's not much to save because it was already broken before they started filming.
1: I have two that I would very much like to see. Mm Mm-hmm. But I would say the first one would be the obvious one that we have spoken about in the past, which would be I'd like to see the the version of Prometheus because it, that's clearly yeah, a film yeah. that in its final act has been over edited to fit a runtime. And uh, we do speak about that in our lost episode, but I guess that's something yep. for another day. Yep. And another film that I've longed to see the directors cut of would be The Thin Red Line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you watch that film, to think that it was once filmed with the idea of Adrian Brody being the main <laughs> character is yeah. in it for a total of about two minutes in the final film. And it's a three-hour-long film as well, so there's, there yeah. must be so, so much that's left to one side. And there's, there's whole location shooting in like the likes of Africa with Gary Oldman and Mickey Rourke that just didn't get a single frame of, of it in the final film. That's the one that I would like to see, I think. That's
0: my... Uh, release the mallet cut. That's yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> I think one that could be um, maybe retooled in some way, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Because there's a lot in that film that could actually be rectified to a certain extent, like getting rid of the CGI that they just slapped on there for some Bizarre reason, even though there's nothing wrong with the footage underneath. Yeah, there's things like alternate takes. There's always that one in the Plinkett review where he goes part time, and the one in the trailer is different to the one in the film, but the one in the trailer is better. So just things like that, where like you can get all the footage and re-edit the film from scratch, even if it's not a great film, it will be a better film. So there's probably quite a few examples of that. I agree. Uh, sorry, I don't agree that it would be a
1: great film, but I do agree that it would be a better film, certainly. Yeah, yeah. That That is a weird one because I was actually, I remember being dumbstruck by the fact that the big chase through the jungle was actually largely practical because not a <laughs> single frame of it looks yeah, like it's been filmed no. on location. And I watched that film recently. It was on TV not too long ago. And once more watching it, I was actually taken aback by how much of the first act actually works as well. Yeah. And it's only when the crystal skull takes prominence in the plot that it all starts to fall apart as well. Yeah.
0: I'm just trying to think of another one that's definitely going to be... Oh, I know. I know. Um, I've never actually seen the film. It'll never, ever see the light of day. But I'd like to see uh, original director's cut of The Keep. Michael Mann's The Keep.
1: Ooh, I would love to see that. Yeah. That would be great. I've only seen the keep once, and it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And yeah. yeah, I do know that there is. It was certainly a torturous production. I remember that somebody was trying to kickstart a tell-all documentary about that, and I, it never came, never came through because nobody ever really watched that film. No, no. It'll never happen. The director's cut, but it's certainly talked about in certain circles.
0: Because apparently, it's originally like a three-hour movie, and it's yeah. like now like ninety-five minutes long or something like that. It is. It is, and yeah. it's
1: it's hard to make sense of as well. I do remember that yeah. the villain looked a lot like Apocalypse from the X-Men movies.
0: Oh, <laughs> another one springs to mind now. The original three-hour-long version of Batman Forever.
1: <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you say that the film's already perfect as is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can only take too much of a good thing, Andy.
0: From going from literally not having any thoughts about it, I've just literally had a load of come into my head. Robocop 2.
1: Oh, that would be good. Yeah. That would be a good one. That makes me excited.
0: It's one of those things, though, where... Is it going to be an Event Horizon situation where... Oh, Event Horizon. You just mentioned one. No, but I mean, it's like an Event Horizon situation where the footage is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Because I imagine with a lot of those older films, unless they really took care of the dailies, a lot Mm -hmm. of that footage has been destroyed or will have gone beyond repair.
1: I just actually thought of one with what you've mentioned as well. You did say earlier on, thinking of a film that's been mythologized much like the Snyder Cut and then been a disappointment. For me, personally, I'm not speaking about, like, the on a cultural level, because I do think that the Snyder Cut is this cultural happening at the moment with a certain (laughs) group of fans. Yeah. But for me, personally, one of the films that hit that mark for me was uh, The Exorcist 3. Yeah, yeah. Because I've always been a fan of that film. That's one of my favourite horror films. And after years of years of doting over the idea of there being an extended cut and what it can mean, when it was finally released... Yeah, it was actually the lesser version of the film. Yeah. It didn't matter as much because the version that was released is already so good to me. Yeah, yeah. I was quite disappointed with how the work print (laughs) turned out. And it was one of those very, very, very few circumstances where the actual studio-mandated reshoots really helped the film.
0: Yeah, I've not seen the work print in its entirety, but I've seen, like, for example, the climax is very anticlimactic compared to what they came up with for the reshoots. Incredible. And although it doesn't quite gel together with the main film, Mm -hmm. it's still quite a good scene, out of context anyway. Yeah, it is. And kind of almost works in context. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would say that even by
1: itself, it's a scene that's still very well made. It just is played slightly over what the rest of the film is played like. It's yeah, it yeah. suddenly becomes very operatic in those final moments, but it still works so well for what it is that yeah. the disjointedness I'm able to overlook. But it's certainly there, and that's why I always thought the workprint, oh, it will it will fix this issue. Suddenly we'll have an ending that feels part of it, whilst also being a, a satisfying climax. And it really isn't. It's the complete opposite. It's like. They're, but they're both on opposite sides of the spectrum. Whereas one is very over the top and and mm. very big in scope, the other one is so small, <laughs> it's it's barely happening. He just walks into a room and shoots him.
0: Yeah. But yeah, there's many a film that I would uh, re-edit or you know wish there was a another way they could do it because yeah, talking of Event Horizon, there's like there's so much in that that's that's gone. But then at the same time, there's so much that's. Great about it, but then even though going into the the making of documentary and stuff there's still some bad things that they did. Like, I mean, I can never get over how shit the the opening and closing music is. Oh, yeah. Um, And they go on about that in great detail uh, in the making of, and i was like, it doesn't fit the film at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those,
1: I I actually like it as a separate entity to the film, but what I was going to mention, actually, just before we go any further, was um, for our next episode of Popcorn Digest, we were actually going to be discussing a Paul W.S. Anderson film. I was actually going to ask you before it started... What do you think? Do you sh- should we go for Soldier or Event Horizon? Because they're the two that are really on the table for me. I'm happy to do one or the other because both give us the scope to really talk oh, about. I'm
0: not sure. I've, n- I've never seen Soldier, and I've, any- I've only seen Event Horizon that one time that we watched at the film festival. So, so I have a penny here. We're going to flip okay. a coin now. As okay. to uh, what would you
1: say, um, heads or tails? So, Event Horizon is heads. Okay. It's Tails. Oh, we're doing so we're Soldier, Soldier, folks. So so it's, it, <laughs> we it's not just Soldier, anyway, it's Blade so. Runner, by extension. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, do you have anything to add today, Andy? No, not really. I mean, it's, it's very difficult with the Firewalk with me because there's so much that I want to talk about that, one, I'd end up spoiling it for the listeners and also for you, but I'd love for you to finish watching it and then watch the YouTube doc because... That made me appreciate the whole thing a lot more, and going back to it, it's increased my enjoyment, because you can see what he's doing a bit more.
1: Well, I certainly will say watch this space, because I'm definitely going to make it my task now to watch the third season of Twin Peaks, and I think once I've done that as well, we're going to have a whole lot more to discuss as well.
0: Plus, it'll be a lot easier for you than when it was for me, because the way it's put together... Because you'll be able to watch it continuously if you want to, yeah. it'll feel a bit more cohesive, but watching it weekly was very difficult. And you'll understand why when you start watching it. It's very much like um, Game of Thrones, where certain characters appear and then they won't appear again for another four weeks. Right, yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, because you can tell they shot it as one big long film and then divided it up afterwards. And it is a little bit slow at times.
1: Yeah, that's that's, that's what I remember reading that. You just Like you mentioned, you just shot it as a film and then found... The places to to cut the episodes out of later which is very strange
0: yeah that's why i think that the ed- the edits that i'm making now basically making each episode like combining two episodes and making a 90 minute episode yeah. the format works so much better because you've got some stories that begin and end within the same episode now rather than being split over several episodes and you get back to certain characters much quicker as well so it does work a lot yeah. better but um yeah i'm very much intrigued to see what you think about that because if you thought "Firewalk with Me" was weird, then you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always
1: down for some David Lynch weirdness. I, I, I don't know. He just he speaks on a level that I want to know more. I don't always yeah. understand what he's trying to say, but I want to know what he's trying to say. Yeah,
0: another good one to do much later along the line would be um, Mulholland Drive because it has a very fascinating production history. Uh, I mean, the first ninety minutes are the TV pilot that failed, and then he basically retrofitted the end to make it a film. I did not know that. And also, the time in between filming the pilot and reshooting was about two years. So they actually came back to the film much... I think they shot the pilot in 98. Yeah. And then they did all the reshoots in 2000.
1: Weirdly enough, though, as well, to connect the two films, both Fire Walk With Me and uh, Mulholland Drive, we could actually do a film in between, because I watched one very recently with Naomi Watts and... Oh, what's the name of the the, the the kid on the bike? I forgot his name now. The kid on the bike? The one that drives out of Twin Peaks and goes to live in California.
0: What, James?
1: James, yes. Yeah, so yeah. there's a film that actually connects Naomi Watts and the actor that plays James. And that, I can't remember the name of the title, but I watched it about three weeks ago and it's about a killer lift.
0: Oh, right, okay.
1: And I am not kidding. It's about a killer elevator. Okay. People get in a lift <laughs> and they die oh, because no. the lift is possessed. Okay. And it stars both Naomi Watts and him. Maybe it exists in this little David Lynchian universe. Ooh, I don't know. But yeah, that one's definitely worth watching as well for completely different reasons. Okay, so that was Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, a film that I think both of us would very much recommend. Mm -hmm. So it's time for moving on to the next episode that we will be discussing on Popcorn Digest next week. It's Soldier by Paul W S Anderson, the Blade Runner spin-off that everybody so fondly remembers. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, it's bye from myself, Gareth,
0: and I've been the arm.
1: Goodbye.